drive a present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Home Star Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham and Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Welcome to Podcast 132. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And the sound is much, much better this week. Fingers crossed. I can already <laughs> feel it. Uh, I meant to mention something to you in my emails, but I just never got around to it when I sent them off to you last week. Because I definitely heard it and I was like, wow, this is really terrible. Yeah, I don't know what was up with the microphone. but I, It was mainly whenever you talked, it sounded worse. Well, that's just par for the course, though. I mean, it's the price you pay for not figuring out how to record your own stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you got a point there. <laughs> Can't take that away from you. Joey, you're right. Uh, all right. Uh, it's, uh, it's been another week. I actually sent out an email. Yay. And, uh, well, we didn't get anybody to send it. <laughs> so... Oh, well, we that's, one, probably, we? that's probably still my fault. We got one. We, uh, yeah, that's true. We did. We got the one. Um, anyhow, Joey, how was your week? It's crazy busy. Since I was on vacation all last week, I spent much of it trying to even just kind of catch up, get my head above water. Haven't managed to do so yet. <laughs> Which is awkward, it. since you don't have gills. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a little hard. Um, how about you, Pete? This was a good week. I, I was okay. I wasn't afflicted by allergies. I wasn't super busy at work, so, yeah. That must be nice. Things were good, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you tell me you played Angry Birds today? At all work? day. The whole day. <laughs> Just Angry Birds all over the place. I did play Angry Birds, but it wasn't like I was just sitting there playing Angry Birds all day at work. Welcome to 2009. Yes. <laughs> we're, gl- yes. we're glad you could join us. <laughs> Pretty soon, I'm going to have a cell phone. <laughs> no, I probably won't. Uh, anyhow, I have an email I thought we could read to start off with. Okay. This is from listener Mark. Maybe. Maybe it's listener Mark. I'm not sure yet. Um, he starts out, the subject is nickname and thoughts. Okay. I definitely do not want to be referred to as Marky Mark. <laughs> <laughs> listener Mark's a lot. Uh... Instead, you can call me he who must not be named. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite quote from last show. Viagra. I think I've been using that wrong. (laughs) Of course, that was my quote. Um, Anyway, it was great that John wandered in on the recording. Listener Mark. Uh, I agree. I think it was great that John wandered in. He's going to be joining us a little more often once we get into Firefly. 
because uh, that's uh, definitely a show he likes. And we'll probably have maybe a couple of other guests as well, oh, some wow. new guests. Cool. I've been talking to one of the guys at work, and we think we're going to be able to maybe talk Curtis into coming down yeah. a time or two. So, uh, again, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, anybody you know that likes Firefly would love to hear what they have to say. And Anyway, we just want this to be a big group experience because we know Firefly is really, really great. It is. You know, I've been watching uh, Castle. Recently, yeah, you know, so there's a, a three seasons worth that I have to catch up on, but uh, in a, in a recent episode that I, I an episode I should say an episode I watched recently, um, the character that Nathan Fillion plays, Rick Castle, is speaking in Chinese to a bunch of people, and and one of the other characters turns to him and says, "So what do you do? Live in China for a while or something?" And his response is. No, it's just this old science fiction show I used to love. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of meta jokes involving what, Nathan Fillion. It's it's fun. That's what I've heard. Yeah, matter of fact, I heard he dresses up as a brown coat. <laughs> yes, he dresses up Halloween. as Mal one year for Halloween, <laughs> and he's like, and everybody's like, "What is that?" He's like, Space cowboy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. Uh, anyway, we'll st- keep thinking about the nickname Mark. Um, I'm not sure we can go with he who must not be named, or Lord Voldemort. I'm not sure I'm willing to hand that out. You can call him Tom Riddle, listener Tom Riddle. That's uh, too wordy. Oh, okay. Too wordy. I still think Mark's a lot should be considered. He he's a lot. Mark's a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's the pun, Pete. The highest form of human humor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can't disagree with you. Uh, Okay, that's all I got. Joe, do you want to start off with anything? Do you have anything you want to cover? Or are we just going to go on Facebook find of the week? My daughter got her stitches out of her finger today. Oh, that's That's a pretty big event for her, so. And I assume JJ removed them. Uh, No, I just bit them off. Ah, I see. Okay. <laughs> no, we took her to the, the pediatrician, and and he took him out, and they're telling us that you know the fingernail will fall off at some point. She said probably a couple months. So yeah, she's taking it all in stride. She huh? is. She's she's a real trooper. Is the fingernail black underneath? Yes. So it, it's definitely looking black. Yeah. Have you considered painting the rest of her fingernails black to match? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. She does occasionally get allowed to wear nail polish, but. Not the goth black? Not goth black, no. Why not? No. With her wonderful blonde hair, that would look awesome. There's <laughs> something wrong with you. <laughs> you can put eyeliner around oh, her man. eyes or something. <laughs> we maybe get her a nice nose piercing. <laughs> yes. And she just walk around, I'm sad. <laughs> I'm only six, but I'm already emo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, too funny. Um, okay, well, that's happy news. That's yeah. good news. Yeah. Um, Facebook find of Facebook the week? Facebook find of the week. Uh, you know, I, the Tolkien poem was actually kind of fun. I enjoyed that. Okay. Uh, that was listener Fishhead who sent that in, so always good to hear uh, old J.R.R. himself read read to us. He doesn't call in as much anymore. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. Ever since he died in the 70s? <laughs> horrible, horrible fire. Um, anywho, we'll go on to Brain okay. Smurf then. We got a nook. Congratulations, uh, um, listener Fishhead, by the way, for sending that in. I still think uh, I should have won. Because mine was awesome. Yours was not 
Awesome. Come on, seriously. Someone took the time, is taking the time to convert the movie Jurassic, <laughs> the movie Park. Jurassic Park into cartoon form. <laughs> Horrible. When I saw that, I just could not help but stop grinning. It was so funny. I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park, man. Loved it. It was an okay movie. It was good. So good. All right, Brainy Smurf says, Hey, dudes, I liked the bit from last week's podcast about Joey using Aaron as a translator. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that snobby TNG alien who uses a telepathic translator to communicate with inferior species. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Maybe you dudes can do a Halloween costume next year. Of, like, that alien? I don't know. It oh. came out of nowhere. <laughs> All of a sudden, bam. Maybe what he means is that we should issue, like, Pete and Joey Halloween masks. <laughs> Dress up as your favorite Trek West Live mm. co-host. <laughs> they would be scary. I can't deny that. <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Maybe we'll consider that. Everybody has to take a picture of their Halloween costume. Vote on them somehow or something. I don't know. Maybe. Something. That's an idea. Maybe just what, what the listeners... Just, just your take on one of the TrekQuest 5 hosts. <laughs> wow, that would be something all right. You know, I come to mind, I think maybe we should offer, like, the fans should pick what we have to wear on Halloween for oh, our okay, costume. Okay. That'd be an idea. You know, this reminds me, Pete, we, we, we've got to get going on our, uh, on our prize thing that we've talked about. What prize thing? I have a, a few items that I've set aside from my personal collection of random miscellaneous crap uh, to give we, away we just to call those knickknacks. Okay, the way. all right. <laughs> well, these are books. Miscellaneous crap just really doesn't have the sound of. Oh yes, I'd like that's to win that. That's something I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are uh, they're books that that I thought you know. Hey, let's have some kind of contest through the podcast mm. and, and give these away. I, I have, I think, four books that I don't know how we'd rank who gets which one. <laughs> anyway. Drawing of some sort, I don't know. Maybe the listeners have some ideas on some kind of contest we could run to see who gets these things. Yeah, that would be fun. Or maybe we can just start, start handing those out as Facebook Find of the Week we, awards. <laughs> until I run out? <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry. We are not creative anymore. Here is our book. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so if anybody's got some ideas for things we can do as a contest, yes, send us some thoughts. You might don't just book. list the things that you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> See how what can I win at? <laughs> I'm good at dislocating my shoulder. All right, can I win a book? Yes, let's go do. We have to go do it right now. Let's just, you know, I need to rank you compared to several other individuals. Wait, there's other individuals already in the running for this? Well, no, but you have to go up against someone. You don't get to win by acclamation. <laughs> All right. Okay, going back to Brandy Smurf's email. Well, anyways, I am running a bit late, so excuse my commentary on only half the episodes. To clarify from last week, I really enjoy Studio 60 altogether. Some episodes, like Breaking News, from this week make no sense. 
but I really like the K&R two-parter, so instead of commenting on those episodes, I want to respond to them with this week's Nook of Darkness, Tool. A band who intentionally avoided the limelight through their iconic career, which began in the early 90s with the dubious help of MTV. Now, I don't listen to their style of heavy rock often, but they are amongst some of the most talented musicians ever, in any genre. Especially their drummer, Danny Carey, who contends with Neil Peart's levels of greatness. He is an undeniably gifted musician. Now, while some uh, now while also sometimes addressing issues like child abuse and exploitation, Tool's music is sometimes profane and sometimes yearning for anarchy. I only point this out because Tool is not a patriotic band. Uh, is not a patriotic band by any stretch, and after 9/11. Tool and the rest of the industry canceled a week of concerts, and I had the chance to see them in Cleveland for their first uncanceled show following that tragic day. It was a rock concert about 10 days after 9-11, and the security at this arena was so intense. They were buzzing like bees. It was like being in a forest of beehives. But everyone in the crowd was so compliant. It's like all the metalheads were also scanning the crowd, ready to root out an unruly terrorist and enact a fistful of therapeutic vigilantism. <laughs> so, after a couple hours of bee scrutiny, we entered and the show began, and it rocked. The first tune lasted about 12 minutes. When the band stopped, the crowd instantly began to chant, USA! <laughs> Over and <laughs> over concert. again. It was both surprising and not surprising. I mean, of course people were going to do this, but it still felt undiscernibly weird at a Tool show. Yeah. And of course, the crowd chanted after every song. And then, ten songs later, and then the singer interrupted the chant and said, I am sorry for anyone in pain right now, but this is not a political forum. This is a chance for us to unite under a single consciousness and lift ourselves from this world, transcending into harmonious energy. <laughs> uh, Sounds like something Tool would say. Hmm. Well... USA! <laughs> USA! <laughs> I had never seen such disparity between a band and the audience. They were playing expertly, and I wasn't sure if they were mad at the crowd, or the crowd was mad at them, but it was so weird. And although I have also followed a personal code to never chant things, I didn't feel like I was on either side of that awkward fence of post-9-11 sensibility rewrites. So, what do you dudes think? Would you have chanted, or engaged, in the heavy metal prayer for peace? I think it's interesting how Sorkin notes how Bill Maher got fired under a cloud of irony. Did he get a fair deal? How did 9-11 change the landscape of appropriateness? I look forward to listening to your answers, overlords. Okay, so okay. what do you think, Joey? 
Uh, I probably would not have chanted along. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> a joiner in that sense. weird, at, especially at a heavy Tool metal concert. concert. Yeah. I actually am, am, well, I don't know if I can say I still am a fan of Tool. I, what if, what if they started singing Lee Greenwood's I'm Proud to Be an American? I would sing along, for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I was saying, when I was in high school, I was a huge fan of Tool. Uh I remember one night as I'm driving along a, a country road, uh, I used to deliver books to tourist traps in the national park system throughout Utah. And I would just load up my car with as many books as I could fit in my car, and I'd go out and I'd drive. They paid for me to have a, what they call a Golden Eagle Pass to all the national parks every year. And I would just start at the southern end of the state, and I would work my way up to the northern end of the state, stopping at all the national parks and all the tourist traps all the way along the way and, and deliver books that were sold on consignment. Um, so I wasn't doing any sales. I was just doing physical delivery. And I, I was in the middle of nowhere, Utah, you know, out by a town called Kusharam, Utah. And I'm driving along and listening to my tool CD. And I got to this, I got to this part that I hadn't ever listened to before. It's, it's a part where a song, there's just dead silence for, like 13 minutes or something like that. And I usually just skip to the next track. But for whatever reason, as I'm driving along, I decide, you know, just, just let it go. And then all of a sudden, this voice comes over my speakers. Your knife was there with you, and your color was blue. And, and he starts telling this story about how <laughs> someone was killed. I, I, I believe the, the intent was that someone was killed, and you're on some kind of hallucinogenic drug. Because you wipe your hands on the grass, and now your color is green, and the blood is there, and now your color is red. So it's, like, it's just really bizarre. And I haven't listened to him that much since then. It just was a weird experience, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm done. <laughs> that, might, that might be enough tool for me in my life. <laughs> um, well, what, yeah, a, what a weird way to answer Brainy Smurf's question. <laughs> I, you know, I went to the U2 concert. A little while after 9-11. Um, Sorry, U2 or YouTube? U2. Oh, okay. Does YouTube have concerts? I don't know. <laughs> I was just as surprised. I, I remember when they did the, the song New York, New York, and they projected up on the stage, they had some screens up there, they projected the names of everyone who died in the 9-11 attacks. And that was that was kind of... I would say inspirational in a way, you know, nobody was chanting USA or anything like that, but you could definitely feel everyone in the, in the stadium kind of hold their breath a little bit during that song. Certainly an emotional, yeah. moving type of, uh, of presentation. Yep. I, I, I was okay with that. <laughs> would have been a little weird at a, at a Tool concert. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely don't see that happening at a heavy metal <laughs> concert of any, yeah. whatever the band may be. Um... I, uh, I, I've never been a, a chanter, a USA. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I always feel weird <laughs> when people are doing it, and I, I don't know, I, I guess it makes me un-American, <laughs> unpatriotic, I should hand in my card and become a communist or something, I don't know, but I, I've just never been 
I think our friend Curtis can help you with that, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yes, he can. Uh, okay. His second question was regarding, do you think Bill Maher got I, a fair deal? I have no idea. I, I've i never... I think Bill Maher got exactly what Bill Maher deserves. I don't even know what Bill Maher got. That's the thing. I Like, I don't engage with Bill Maher on any level. I, I don't even know when he got fired or what it was for, because I don't know how many times, I, I should say, how many times he has been fired. I remember when he was let go from CBS, from his late night show. Politically incorrect. Yes. Uh, and See, I remember... I that was the, still on the air. I remember the network saying, oh, it doesn't have anything to do with Bill Maher's personal political beliefs. Uh, we're just, you know, it's time for, you know, we're done with this show. And I was like... Really? Baloney. <laughs> he just said this horribly offensive thing, which I don't remember what it is now, but I remember at the time, it was pretty scathing kind of thing. Okay. Uh, I don't think it was directed specifically at the president, or it, I, I don't know what it was. But I remember thinking, that's baloney. He was definitely canned for what he just said. Gotcha. Okay. And I don't have any sympathy for Bill Maher at all. I, I've tuned into little pieces of his show here and there and never walked away going, wow, that was so insightful. I just, eh, okay. I don't think the guy's funny. I don't either. And I think he tries to go for the John Stewart type See, of and, humor. And, and, and John Stewart's got it. That's what I was going to say. Bill Maher does I, not. I, I'm super conservative, but I will laugh all night long yeah. at John Stewart. Mm-hmm. And unlike you, Pete, I will actually laugh at Stephen Colbert. I think the I think the way he lampoons the right is pretty funny myself. I, I think it's funny sometimes. I just think it's the same joke over and over again. <laughs> I just lose interest. Well, if a joke is good one time, it's good a million times. <laughs> Good jokes don't get old. All jokes get old. Okay. Uh, All right. I think we've uh, covered that uh, well enough. Um, Oh, I guess there was one more question. How did 9-11 change the landscape of appropriateness? What's appropriate and what's not to do? I don't think it permanently changed it. No. If anything, it was just part-time, like a gentle... The eye of the storm, so to speak. Everything calms down and then the storm rages back up again, so... We as humans want to push the button, push boundaries, whatever they may be. So, yep, yep, just what it is. Okay, let's do Joey's Culture Corner. Okay, this week it's uh, "Stranger in a Strange Land" by Robert A. Heinlein. Uh, or I've heard some people say Heinlein. I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. So the the plot of this book is that humanity makes it to Mars, or we send it. We send a, a mission to Mars. And everyone there on Mars dies. Turns out there's intelligent life there on Mars, and they don't take too kindly to us deciding to land on their planet any more than we would take uh, Martians deciding to land here. Um, Over time, we kind of open negotiations, and and we actually manage to get, uh, I think, an embassy kind of thing going on Mars. But they're, they're just such a different life form from us that we can't really connect with them. But it turns out that the astronauts who traveled to Mars, one of them was a female and she was pregnant. And the Martians have been raising a human child in the Martian way. That person is brought back to Earth 
and he becomes an instant celebrity. The, the, the man from Mars, John Valentine Smith, is what they name him. And it turns out that he has, because, because of the fact that he was raised by Martians, he has almost kind of superpowers, I think you could say. Um, he has the ability to make things that he doesn't want to see anymore go away. He, he just, the, the, way, the way it's described in the book is that the objects, I think they shrink. The, the way he describes it is, what's at, what's at, right, what's at a right angle from everything? Move, the thing moves away from you at a right angle, but if people are completely surrounding it, everyone perceives it as moving away from them at a right angle, at a rapid speed. So I guess that's shrinking? I'm not sure. Anyway, so he, he... The second explanation was worse than the first. <laughs> he makes things go away. He makes them disappear, somehow. <laughs> All right. Back to the first. I understood <laughs> that one. <laughs> it, it's, it's weird. Um, anyway, so he... He starts to introduce, try to introduce certain Martian concepts into human society. And the big one, the one that is super popular, that actually, you know, penetrated human society from the novels is the term grok, the word grok. When someone says, I grok that or I don't grok that. Now, you may not hear this so much, Pete, but in the computer programming world, at the very least, it's it's fairly common to say there's code that you've read, there's code you've understood, and then there's code that you grok. And, and grok is like this visceral, really deep level of, of understanding to the point where you're just almost in, you know, communing with the thing. You, you you understand it perfectly to every degree. Uh, anyway, so the, as, the, as the book winds on, he realizes that to get his message out to humanity, which it's, it's generally, I mean, it's Heinlein. It's, hey, let's all have big, giant group, group marriages and everyone has sex with everyone and it's all okay kind of thing because it's all just love, right? Uh, that was Heinlein. He was, he was in the 60s and he was, you know, it was, you know, all you need is love. <laughs> hmm, fascinating. Uh, but so he, Valentine Michael Smith realizes that um, the best way to do this is to start his own religion. And so he does that. He creates his own religion. But his religion is like everything that is appealing to anyone is incorporated in his religion. For example, gambling is a big part. They like they run casinos. Ooh. Anything that is considered appealing, appealing to just about anyone. I mean, it's like it's all inclusive. That's the whole point of his religion. So there should be a contingent of snuff film people, well, incorporated within this religion. He he didn't describe that, but I I don't know. <laughs> his his point is that it's inclusive. It, Everything that you do is okay because you're a, a living, thinking being, and you chose to do it. That makes it okay. What if it infringes upon somebody else's rights? He doesn't really get into it that deeply. He doesn't. Uh-uh. Coward. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, he's dead, or, you know, you could call him And if he and were alive today, I would tell that to his face. All right. Anyway, I think it's an interesting read. Uh, the, the edition I read was the... The newly revised... They added like 300,000 words back Seriously, into the Seriously, the NIV version? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> they, uh, so he, you know, he, had, he had written a... When he initially published it, you know, it was a, a novel. 
but he cut 300,000 words from the, the story oh, at the publisher's request. <laughs> and after it got to a certain point, it was such a famous book, he felt like he, it was okay. I'm just going to go ahead and add those back in. And so now it's a good inch thick or two inch thick book. That It's an entertaining read. Wow. I, I don't buy everything that's in it, but I find myself entertained. The the one line that I enjoy the most every time I I go back and re-experience this, this book is, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I love the concept that he puts forward, is every kind of humor is funny because it's hurting someone. Yeah. Inherently, we laugh because someone's being hurt. I thought that was an interesting premise. I haven't, like, sat down and thought through every single kind of humor to see if it's true, but largely... A lot of it does come from that. Yeah, for sure. I had a conversation with the, my friend John Madsen on our other podcast that we do, where we talked about laughter, and w- does God have a sense of humor? <laughs> and I had to kind of walk away from it and say, I don't know that he does in the traditional sense that we think of humor, because so much of the humor that we have is mocking someone else. Yeah. In some regard, a mistake that's made, um, the way someone does something, it's different from us. Um, a few other different facets that, that, that came up, but in the end, I kind of had to say, you know, I don't think God's, you know, he's got a sense of humor like we think of laughter and humor gotcha. in our lives. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Thumb up. Thumb up. In case there, anyone was unclear. Okay. Well, that was an interesting book. I'm sure I probably won't ever read it unless I'm looking <laughs> for an orgy book. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on to episodes then. We are going to cover episodes 17 through 20 of Studio City in the Sunset Strip. <laughs> um, we'll start off with episode 17, The Disaster Show. A wildcat strike causes the prop masters to walk off the scene... On the same night as a bomb threat. <laughs> okay. This was a fun show in some regards, and in other places it was just like, ugh, come on, you're trying too hard to make this funny. <laughs> I loved the stuff with Alice and Janney. I thought yeah, it was great. I, I really did. Like I said, just a few things just seemed to go too far. Like, why in the world do they have to come and talk to Cal to talk about the bomb threat? Like, the bomb guys need to come to Cal specifically. Well, because Danny and Matt are out of the office. They don't need him to wander. They got the dang guy who's in charge of the entire company standing right there. And it's though I should get permission from Cal first about, you know, searching through here with dogs. I, I, I felt like that was okay. That one made sense to me. No. the the They shouldn't have been bothering okay. Cal. He's literally the only one running this show. Yeah. The thing that I enjoyed the most was constantly Cal's up, you know, trying to be upbeat. Oh, gonna be a big show! Everything's gonna be great, guys! Oh, let's go out and do this! <laughs> and the, the funniest line for me is when uh, Jack says, So, is this gonna be a good show? I don't see how. I don't see how! I was wrote that one down. Which is, I think, I want to say that's a line that got pulled from the West Wing at some point. I feel like that was used okay. before. Um, and anyway, that that was 
really, really made me I, You know, it's just so good to see Jan- Alice and Janney and Timothy Busfield together. There's something about the dynamic between yeah. those two that yeah, is so certainly, good. Certainly does and, work. And, and they kiss. That was nice. Did they? Yeah, they did, right at the beginning. Huh. Okay. Oh, that wasn't like they were making out, oh, but okay. still, they kissed. Oh, all right, all right, all right. I'm with you now. Okay. Uh, it just, you know, watching this episode and watching Cal running around and, and doing his best impersonation of Josh Lyman, uh, it made me realize Timothy Busfield was really underused on West Wing. I think that character could have done some other things. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I agree. I, I think the world of him. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess so. Um, Wildcat Strike. Seems like with the way that unions are all set up, if one of them goes on strike, like everything just crumbles in around. Yeah. And I think that's the power of the union. But uh, have you ever heard of a Wildcat Strike? Sure. I have never heard of a Wildcat Strike specifically before. Care to elaborate on it? Uh... I'm trying to remember. It comes from oil. It comes from the wildcatters that that drill for oil. But I can't remember exactly how, what what the term means. Mm. Uh, according to the internet, this is a strike where the workers do not have the the permission of the union to strike. So the workers mm. have walked off without the union being the one that declared the strike. Oh, I see. And in this case, it was because of the inflammatory remarks that... Uh, By Josh Lyman. I mean, Danny, Danny Tripp. <laughs> makes, um, for sure. It's such a Josh Lyman thing to say. It is. <laughs> you could totally be replaced. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, so that's the, the whole premise there. Throwing the show together and, you know, oh crap, this is going to be... Yeah, train wreck. So the guys and everybody sh- is know is it knows yeah. us. The guys who show up to investigate the bomb threat. <laughs> it's just one of them that is so dumb. He says, Are you operating any electronic devices in the building? And Cal just looks at him like, Are you stupid? <laughs> that was that's just ridiculous. Uh Simon apparently is a womanizer. Yeah. He likes the ladies. I'm alright with that. Yes. Um, okay. Since we're talking about this, sh- who should he go out with? Claire, or was it, who's the other one? Uh, Stephanie. Stephanie. Which one? Claire. I say Claire as well. The other one just seems like too, like, up and down yes. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And Claire had bigger boobs. <laughs> I didn't even notice. You didn't notice? I mean, I noticed that she had boobs. She's a woman, but I didn't, like, stop and compare. Let's see. Yeah, those ones are a little bit bigger. Oh, my gosh. Do you, like, have a ruler you use? I don't need one when they're that big. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, yeah, I choose Claire all day long. Uh, I love when... You know, I miss... this Stuff like this makes me miss theater, doing theater. Uh... Harry takes the drink of what's supposed to be water, <laughs> and it's actually grain alcohol, and she reacts to it. I miss screwing with actors like that. <laughs> I mean, I can't say I ever used grain alcohol, because that's potentially poisonous. <laughs> but it was always fun to mess with an actor. <laughs> that was kind of mean what they did to Alice and Janney, where 
she walks out onto the set and she's like, oh, there's no cue cards up here. Yep, sorry, I didn't want to freak you out earlier. You're going to do fine. <laughs> well, the idea that she doesn't remember how many times she's been on Studio 60. Oh, yeah. It, it is just so, so terrible. Um, I, okay, the Harriet and Matt thing. I, I'm glad they, they addressed it from the everybody else's point of view on the cast. Okay. And they're all basically saying, dude, this is annoying. Knock this off. We're sick and tired of hearing it. And I would like to believe that they're writing that because everybody else in America who was watching this show... Was sick of it? Was sick of it as well. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to believe. Uh, really, the last thing I wanted to mention about this is... As Allison kind of loses it, just goes nuts, you know, screaming and saying, ah, this is so stupid, I hate this, you know, on screen. And Cal comes into her mic, or her speaker, and is like, yeah, you you kind of look like an idiot right now. I turned your microphone off like a while ago. As soon as you said thank you and good night, I turned your mic off. You just look like a raving lunatic right now. (laughs) And he says... This was really, really terrible. I'm sorry, but doesn't this still beat digging holes for a living? Which I think is really great for Cal to do to say, okay, it was bad, but it's still better than the alternative. Yeah. Realize that you still have something really, really good here that you can do for a living and get paid for. <laughs> I love that, you know, Harry and I think it was Harry and Tom who were talking to Allison. They're like, well, you know, we're okay with the disaster show because. We're experts at making it look like it's all your fault. <laughs> the squib thing was the just... The squib thing was hilarious. No, it was ridiculous. Oh my gosh, I've seen... How do you make that mistake? You're oh, putting wait. on an outfit that shouldn't have squibs in it to go out and do a scene. You, no. As you're putting it in, thinking, why does this have this extra stuff in here? <laughs> and how do they accidentally end up in that thing anyway? I don't think it was an accident. Well, maybe. That, I guess the uh Hey, there's that the sound we missed from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I'm done, too. Okay, do we have any... Oh, I guess we don't have anything, anything from the Yes. Oh. Yes, we do. He did... He, uh, Brainy Smurf, wrote in for the first two, not the second two. Uh, he says, Now, finally, a situation we can all relate to. Which hot chick does one take to Hawaii? <laughs> no, I'm supposed to have the bell out here. Ding! Baccalaureate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this episode did have some great moments. I liked Harriet's impersonation of Allison. Squibblessly getting shot up. The fourth wall was also a big character of this episode. I also wonder how much do cue card guys get paid Uh, I also liked Cal's line in reference to Allison's hearing aid. Quote, See, it's got a string to pull it out. Big show! Close quote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So funny. Uh, TV 6. Okay. Pete, how about you? I think I'm going to give this TV 6 as well. Because there were a few things, like the squibs. I just don't see how you get that one confused. Uh, and the bomb guy stuff, I I didn't care for that. 
Um, but it was a train wreck, and it was a pretty funny train wreck. <laughs> and we got to see Alice and Janie and uh, Cal, so I, I was okay with that. I agree. It's a six. The, I'm with you. The, the main detriment to this episode is the bomb scare stuff. Yeah. Moving on to our next episode, Breaking News. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just going to have to read this. So I, I realized after I went to bed last night that I forgot to write the summaries. So I grabbed my iPad, which I keep next to my bed, and logged into Google Docs and, and typed quick summaries up. And I was kind of, I was almost asleep. So I'm just going to read this because I don't know what it, anyway. <laughs> Matt's drug habit, a missing email from Tom's brother, and Jordan's spong wobbit the show. <laughs> I have no idea what spong wobbit is. <laughs> a, uh, oddly enough, that's your most lucid uh, <laughs> intro that's ever. S P O N G W O B B I T. Spong Wobbit. <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming that's a, a computer term of some sort that I'm not familiar with. Uh, okay. So, this episode's going to be about Tom Jeter. Yeah. And. This is also the episode where we get the uh, infamous Studio City. Um, <laughs> Which never gets old. <laughs> oh, it does not. It really doesn't. Which is funny because he just says it the once and he still like he screws it up. Yeah. Really funny. Um, okay, so Tom Jeter's brother, which we know is in the military. He's an airman. Um, he apparently emails Tom before every show. Yep. He doesn't, apparently, this week. And so Simon finds out about it. And apparently Tom's parents have been calling in to try and get a hold of him as well to find out if they know what's going on with... And they ended up calling Harry. Yes. Um, so, that's the whole premise of the show. The show goes, it happens... And they go back and forth a few times. Harriet and Simon both saying, Okay, should we tell him? No, do not tell him. Till after the show. Yeah, this has got to wait. And then, well, at the end, all, as we know, all heck breaks loose. Um, but during the show, we have the lawyer lady come back. Yep. Because Matt apparently says some stupid things about Karen Salzberg. He opened his mouth when he shouldn't have at all. And apparently is making things worse. Oh, in his defense, he's pretty much high all the time these days. <laughs> yes, that is a good defense. <laughs> yes, Your Honor. I was high at the time I said it, so it really shouldn't count. Um, and Jack come uh, is pitching this idea or talking about this idea for... Oh, he's, he bought into this company... That has this machine. Oh yes, the platinum blue thing. Yes, which is apparently is able to write or improve a movie, and he is hoping that it can potentially improve a sketch as well. well. So I think this is mythical. I, don't, I have not heard of this. Yeah, I don't know if it product. exists. Either. However, platinum blue really does exist. This is a, a thing that the music industry has that you can feed a song into it. You can tell it what the intended audience is, and it will tell you in very rough terms what you need to add or take away from the song in order to make it a hit. And 
the, uh, the kind of the poster boys of the platinum blue system of music generation are Nickelback. Do they really use it? Yes. <laughs> Is that why everyone hates them? It's why every Nickelback <laughs> song sounds exactly the same. <laughs> They're good songs. They're not bad songs. <laughs> I remember back uh, probably a few a couple years ago, someone who hated Nickelback so much decided, I'm going to create a Facebook page. And it was a pickle. And they said, this pickle is more is going to have more fans or friends <laughs> than Nickelback. Nickelback. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> and Nickelback got pissed off about it. And made it just worse. Yeah. I think they eventually took the, took the thing down. Uh, but if you're Nickelback... And you've got this thing out there, and people are hating. <laughs> don't don't get mad. Don't feed into it. Do not feed into it. Uh, you just you join in on it and say, "Yeah, I'm a fan of that pickle." Love as well. the pickle. Love the pickle. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you make it go away. Uh, okay. So if there is a machine that can improve a movie, think it's a good idea. No, because it all becomes formulaic at that point. I agree. I don't think that it's a great idea. I think a lot of what makes music good is stuff that comes from the soul, from the heart. I get music can be entertaining too, but the really, really good stuff seems to be the stuff that came from an artist yeah. who was trying to come up with something that, I don't know, reflected their mood or... or uh, you know, made a statement that they were trying to say about a given thing. And while I can't guarantee that none of these people have used the Platinum Blue system, the 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 example I like to point to is how selective we've been with choosing our intro and outro music. We've we've tried to stick with music that, on some level, speaks to us. You know, that that we enjoyed listening to, because we're going to be forcing our listening listeners to hear it over and over again. To be fair. It's the music that we enjoyed listening to that was free. <laughs> yes. There were other things that we had that we have not used. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, th I don't think it's a good idea either. But, I mean, if you can manage to monetize it, I'm sure that'd be kind of a cool idea. Uh, it's in this episode that Suzanne calls out Matt. Yes. You're high. Tells yes. Danny, good for her, mm -hmm. telling Danny. Absolutely. That, that was one of my questions, is would you tell? Absolutely. Yes, you absolutely should tell. If you find somebody who's in that position, they need help. Yep. And they clearly are not making appropriate decisions in their life. You need to make that decision for them. So it, based on the scene where Suzanne confronts Matt, and I don't know, it's just something in that scene that every time I watch it makes me think, this was going to be a romance at some point. If Studio 60 had continued as a show, I think there would have been a thing eventually developed between Matt and Suzanne. What? Yeah. I think it would have been Josh and Donna all over again. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> no. Oh, heavens no. Um, wow, that just leaves a bad taste in the mouth completely. <laughs> because you don't like Suzanne? No, I just... No, okay. that doesn't work all right. at all. 
You rerun that through platinum blue. See what <laughs> kicks out again. Um, the the quote that I wrote down. As soon as I have a hiatus, I'm gonna stop. And I, I just I loved that scene specifically because it showed the desperation of a user trying to come up with any excuse to get them to back yeah. off or let them go or let them do their drugs or whatever. And I, I think they captured that scene brilliantly. I would agree. Ne by the way, never believe anything that a user is going to say, especially when they're high. Yeah. You can't. You cannot believe they are under the effects of some sort of stimulant or, or what have you. It, they are not thinking properly. I also really liked the scene between Danny and Matt. Yes. Uh, finally, I, it was frustrating for me because I felt like Danny should have said something yes. a lot sooner. I think that was part one of the things that makes me think that he was going somewhere with this relationship between Matt and Suzanne is because Suzanne was the only one around Matt to see it. I think that that was setting us up for... Oh yeah, Suzanne cares about Matt in a way that none of his other friends mm. did. But the scene where Danny you know, confronts him and, and points out, Matt, you've, you've not been writing the show just as bad. You've been writing it worse. It's been really bad while you've been high. And it's time to quit. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I what I enjoyed and what I think was Aaron Sorkin drawing upon real life yeah. stuff when he comes after him and says, you want to get high? You really want to do it? Here, let me tell you how to do it. Because... Have you been crushing him up? Because that defeats the time release and then you really get going. Yeah. Dan Danny is... He knows ex all about this stuff. Yep. Okay. Uh, I think Jordan is right to chew out Danny. I'm, I think she should have been doing it before. It's her yep. job. Yeah. And... Even if you're with somebody uh, romantically, you still got to do your job. That's why every time my wife says, hey, we should start up our own company sometime, uh, I say, no. no. I no. love you too much to ever let that happen. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they, they talk about why people write in this episode. And they, and they mention the fact that Matt writes because he wants people to like him. It, it's... You know, it goes back to Andy saying, hey, look, we need to make these two people just as broken as you are if we want them to be good comedy writers. <laughs> uh, okay, the, it ends with uh, Jordan can't feel the baby kicking, and then Tom's brother is a hostage, yep. come to find out. Um, yeah, and, uh, and the episode ends. You know, I, before, we, before we get into... Uh, listener comments here. I did want to mention my brother, my oldest brother is in the military and back during the Gulf War, there were several times where he would send an email to my mom that said hey, you're not going to hear from me for a while. Can't tell you anything more than that. Love you. And, you know, he, he was actively engaged in, in the conflict out there. We don't know what he was doing. In Desert Storm? Or the latest? No, it was the earlier one, the Desert Storm, the 90s. Early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. Okay. But I, th I think it was actually the Gulf War rather than... 
It wasn't during the Desert Storm, Desert Shield. It was when it actually progressed to the point of the Gulf War. Bush 2. Yes. Okay. Sorry, if it's Bush 1, then I have a hard time believing that he's sending an email. No. If it's Bush 2, yes. You know, post 9-11. Okay. I don't have anything else. Do you? No. Okay, let's do email here. Uh, Brian Smurf says, Why would Tom's parents call Harry before calling Tom? Additionally, Matt's assistant really jumps out of nowhere to confront him about pills. I think this concept is good for this story thread, but the execution is very contrived. Hmm. Oh, and by the way, can we take a moment to note the hot lawyer? I love this woman. Maybe it's because my girlfriend is a smart, hot, mean blonde as well. <laughs> I like the mean girls. But why would Tom's parents call Harriet before calling Tom? This episode is less believable than the ferret mongoose gator viper coyote caper. <laughs> I think he's added a few more things in. Uh, this episode is forced, and Harriet freaks out too much. Drama chicks. TV 3. Wow. Yeah. Joey, what do you think? I give this one a 6. I like this episode. Uh, maybe partly because it is setting up the, the two-parter for K&R. But I, I love the confrontations of Suzanne and Danny against Matt. I feel that, that execute, both of those are executed wonderfully. Uh, really enjoy them. Uh, plus, I just love the whole, you know... Herb, you know we're Studio 60, not Studio City, right? <laughs> I gave it a 6. Uh, I think you're both low. I think this is a 9. Wow. This is, without a doubt, great television. This builds and builds and builds and builds to the very end when it, you know, the most earth-shattering, terrible thing could happen to poor little Tom Jeter. Um, I think that this is fantastic. The, the Matt... Getting confronted finally and seeing the pathetic way in which he responds yeah. to, oh, I promise I'm going to quit. I'll quit right away. Um, with Suzanne coming back and saying, yeah, my mom said that. And then a year later, she slit her wrists. <laughs> you know, just so deadpan. Because this woman, she lived through it. Yeah. She's heard the excuses and she is trying to rescue him. I, I loved it. The, the only the only knock I have against it, the reason I come down a little bit, is I feel like there are a few too many things going on for this episode. The Mary story, you know, the, the the lawyer story, and Jack Rudolph, I think, are both just they're just a little much for me. It makes this makes the, the, the script a little heavy. The the Mary thing has to be there in order for her to be there in K and R. I don't agree. I think you can bring her in at the beginning of K and R, and and still tie it in as a writer. Yeah, I don't know. Moving on to our next episode, K&R. Mary has a suggestion on how they might be able to get Tom's brother back, right as the media makes public his connection to Tom. Jordan goes into preeclampsia. And I, 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 again, I wrote this last night and I was like, did she go into preeclampsia? Did she get preeclampsia? I'm not sure what the right word is there. She was afflicted with preeclampsia. Okay, alright. Uh, okay, Jordan's in the hospital. Anyway, uh, bad things are happening. Apparently the baby is 
I don't know. Got the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Yeah. Uh, my immediately older brother, the the black sheep, blackest of the black sheep in my family, had that problem when he was a baby, when he was in, in the womb. Oh. Yeah, explains a few things, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. It really kind of does. Uh, okay, so let's maybe cover that stuff first. Um, so she's there in the hospital, and things just steadily keep getting worse. Getting worse, yeah. And they've the, the poor ER doctor, the kid, eh, I think unfairly gets you know attacked by uh, by Danny. You know, just because he's young doesn't mean he isn't skilled. Sure. And it seems unlikely that they're just going to put him in charge of an entire ER if he doesn't have the abilities to do it. I agree, but as a doctor, just in general, they have to be used to that kind of treatment. I mean, you're seeing people at their worst in a lot of cases, and they're not really going to be concerned about your feelings. So I think that that's just part of the job of a doctor is to be, okay, you know, I have to have thick skin. I can't afford to take this stuff personally. Huh. Interesting. So I'm okay with I, I take doctors it you've rotten. been a jerk to doctors. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good thing we don't have any doctors who are listeners here. Um, anyway, the uh, at the very end... Um, it builds to the point of, okay, we've got to get this baby out right now. You're, you're having a seizure here. We've got to give you drugs. We use a C-section. Kid's got to come out. Yep. Danny then proposes. Seems like the worst time to propose. I'm not a woman. I think I've mentioned this before. <laughs> I just don't think that that's the right time to propose. I have no problem with it. Well, you're married, so I I have to take your advice I mean, on this. He he wants her to know before she goes in so that she can hold on to that. The, the, the problem is, if I wait until she's out of the surgery and everything's okay, assuming that that is what happens, if I were to wait for that, then... She doesn't know that I was, you know, I was I was ready to make this commitment before there was a problem. Right. Okay. And that I was ready to be there with her through the problem. I look like I'm just coming in at the end and saying, "Oh, you're going to be okay." Well, now let's get married. <laughs> He's letting her know that you know I'm in this all the way already. <laughs> I just had in my mind like pulling out the you know after everything's over, pulling out the ring and saying, "You know, I." If you didn't pull through this, I really wasn't going to be proposing. But since you did, your reward is I, w- I would like to marry you. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible thing that would, that would be. But, you know, it wouldn't be absolutely unheard of for a woman to interpret it that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, um, just the whole idea of babies coming into this world, it's a pretty terrifying thing. It, it's... It's scary. You know, our, it's not an easy process. That's our for first sure. kid, uh, Didi's water broke, and he didn't come for eleven and a half hours, and it was it was terrifying. I mean, you know, there there was no progress. That you know, they they're like, okay, we may have to go do a C section to get the kid out at this point. 
because you know it's starting to get to the point where we worry about the baby's safety with no amniotic fluid in there. And I mean, it was it was really really scary. And then just all of a sudden, turned on a dime, and here comes the baby. Oh yeah, doctor's not gonna have time to get here because since we hadn't advanced in eleven and a half hours, he decided to go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> So the nurse delivered the baby. <laughs> hey, that's great. That means it should cost less. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should say, dear heavens, I hope that's not the cost less version. <laughs> uh, okay. When, when they, you know, when they tell Harry about everything that's going on, I, I just have to say, Sorkin, the guy knows how to manipulate me. I don't know about anybody else. He certainly knows how how to manipulate me emotionally. When Harry drops on her knees immediately and begins to to pray, I I love that. I love that scene that she and I know not everyone does. That's what I said. I don't know about everyone else, but I found it goofy. I didn't. I I found it very sincere and heartfelt. Okay, I get that prayer is is useful. It's it's deep. It's what people turn to in difficult situations. I say it's goofy because she kneels down in front of everyone and there's a crowd of people in that room and starts praying vocally. Now, this is probably just because of the way I was brought up, but that's a little on the weird side to me. (laughs) A little too much on the sleeve for you? I I guess. I'm one of these personal kinds of guys. Look, I'm going to start praying, but it probably is going to be sub-vocally. And I'm probably going to go off and do it alone. Now, if I want to pray in a group of people who communally would like to pray, then yeah, okay, sure, that's fine. But it's clear she's the only one really interested in praying amongst this group. Yeah. So a communal prayer, is that where like everyone picks a word? You, you're the next in line, you say the next <laughs> word? <laughs> Not a progressive prayer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, you ever yeah, end up with like Madlands or something. <laughs> anyway, I I found it to be, you know, the the concept that came across to me was she is so heart stricken at that moment that I, it, it yeah. brings her to her knees and the words start pouring out. You know that 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 it is a it was not. I didn't feel like it was a. Hey, look at me! I'm praying, kind of thing. That it was just, you know what? I am that much heart stricken that I, you know, I see nothing else to do right at this moment but drop down and say a prayer right here. Okay, this raises an issue that I've been dealing with a bit uh, this week, or I should say, the last couple of days since I've really only it was Wednesday when I watched this. No, last night. Watched it last night. Feeling <laughs> been dealing with this since last night. Twenty four hours or so. <laughs> Racking my soul. Um, praying. I'm a fan of it. I do it. I recommend it to other people. I think sometimes prayer gets turned into this weird begging ritual. Okay. Please, God, help me. Please. Please. Pretty please. <laughs> and I, for me, that's not what prayer is about. I, I, I approach it a little differently. It's not to say that I haven't begged God for anything. 
please, dear Lord, don't let these people beat me up right now. I know what I said was really stupid, but please don't let me get beaten up. Which was a real prayer that I offered as a kid. I, I just, at a certain level, I, I think God is a part of our lives. I think he's very interested in what we do in our lives. But I don't think God is... I don't think he's going to hear one of these prayers and say, oh, okay, all right, sprinkle the fairy dust. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100% gone. on that. And I don't know how to properly articulate this. To I, I just, I, I, I don't, I want people to pray, but I don't want them to beg God for something. As in the, the scriptures it talks, uh, Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. Yeah. Look, God, here's what I'd like, but, but if not, then I'm okay with whatever decisions you make. And I guess maybe I, in just talking this through here, you know, maybe people who pray should be just trying to articulate to God their feelings and asking. What we have tried to teach our kids is that when you're praying, it's okay to ask him, to help you fix a problem that's happening. But the main purpose of the prayer should be you trying to reconnect with your God. Yeah. You you feel distant from him. Uh-huh. You need right now that emotional closeness with him and that's what you're reaching out for. If if as a result of that prayer, you know, something some situation that you're in gets gets taken care of, that's great. But the point of the prayer is to rebuild that connection that you feel has torn down. Yeah, if I can maybe add to that, because I like the way that you say that there. I also like to think of it as you're going in prayer to help realign yourself to God's will. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. Uh, I I think when when you said it the the way you said it, it helped click something, and that came to mind. I just I I, I want to throw a plug out there to everybody who's praying. Don't turn it into a begging session. Yeah. Because while God does care about us individually as people, he is our father, I don't think God cares really that much whether or not I lose my iPod. <laughs> God, can you help me find it? Where is it? Now, I, you know, just to quantify a little bit, there were moments in my childhood where I prayed to help find things because I knew I was going to get the daylights beat out of me <laughs> if it didn't turn up. <laughs> Probably a different scenario. Yeah, a little different. But, you know, yeah. again, you know, the, the thing I've just tried to stress to my own children is, look, this is, this is a chance for you to ask for closeness and, and for comfort. Those things are the main, in my, in my opinion and what I've taught my children, that is the main purpose of the prayer. If you ask for other things and you get them, that's great, that's wonderful, but you should really be seeking comfort. You know what? I'm in this situation. Can you please clear my mind and help me realize what I'm supposed to do? Send me some comfort to be able to handle the parts that I don't know how to handle right now. Right. Now, just to be clear, I don't necessarily think that Harriet started all of a sudden begging yeah, we God don't know what she thinks. Yeah, because it, it cut away at yeah. that point. And, and I wasn't trying to suggest that she was doing that specifically. But it just 
made my mind go down a certain thought. Gotcha. Um, also, it wouldn't be untoward for you to start thanking God for all of the things we have, too. Yes. Uh, okay. Enough of the uh, the prayer stuff. Um, Can you tie a bow tie? No, and I wrote that down here. I want to be able to tie a bow tie. I don't know how. I had my mother get them for me as Christmas gifts. I own bow ties that I can't tie. <laughs> and it's not because I haven't tried. And I have had some people show me. I just, I don't seem to be able to do it. And w when the guy showed me, uh, he's like, really just think about this as you're tying your shoe. Okay. Because it's... The same knot. It's okay. the same basic idea. And so I kept thinking about it. I'm like, okay. And it never came out right. Ever. I, I think I think the main thing is, I can't tie them either, but I've, I've worn them before. I've had people tie them for me so that I could wear them. I, I, I get the sense that the main thing is being very careful at every point in the process to make sure everything is perfectly balanced. Otherwise, it just looks like crap when it's done. <laughs> yeah. You got this extra string that's like <laughs> hanging out way over here. <laughs> no, nah, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. Uh, anyway, if, it, if someone has a way to tie bow ties, maybe help a brother out what, on the like Facebook a, like page. Like a neat mnemonic device or a video or something? Yeah, anything. I went online to try and find a few things and nothing really seemed to help. Okay. Maybe I said I should start dating women who have bow tying skills. <laughs> Do you remember the start of the first Gulf War? Yes. Okay. My wife doesn't. By the way, I'm talking about Bush one. Yes. Yeah. 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 My wife does not remember. Yeah. Here's what you want to know why? Why? It interrupted Ducktales. <laughs> we were watching cartoons. As kids, after school, and the report came on the news that we were at war. Uh, I was, I was actually at school working in the audiovisual lab. Uh, we were splicing something together. Can't remember even now what we were. We were some video we'd filmed that we were splicing together, and I remember, I remember a tank. I remember a strong visual of a tank rolling through something. I don't. It was rolling down a wall of some kind. Very strong visual image that, you know, I was like, yeah, I can remember that war starting. Mm. Kind of interesting. I, I just thought it was, you know, my wife is only three years younger and can't remember it. Matt starts to pour himself a drink and stops. Yeah, notice that. Good for him. Uh, they do some fadebacks to post 9-11. Mm -hmm. Studio 60, and they want to do shows where, or the, the writers want to do stuff where they're attacking everybody. <laughs> yeah, and uh, who's the, the guy? Luke. Luke. Is trying to pitch these ideas that are just atrocious. Yeah. Just wrong on every level. And thankfully... Matt says, no, we're not going to do these things. That's yeah. terrible. If for no other reason than they're factually inaccurate. <laughs> uh, but I can't remember if it's this uh, show or not. Maybe it's the next one. Um, 
Man was dressed down. When he was in the past? Yeah. When he was controlling the writer's room. Yeah. And it's because they had kind of been dumped into... They'd had it dumped in their lap. Wes had a heart attack. I don't know. It just seems like he goes nuts earlier in the episode about how that room is like a frat house. And most of those same writers are still around later on when Matt comes back. Okay. And all of a sudden now, I can't believe you slobs. You're just... I see what you're saying. Oh, well. Doesn't matter. Uh, what... How do you know when you've crossed that threshold when it's now okay to make fun of certain tragedies? Okay, that's definitely too soon. <laughs> yes, I agree. The the FedEx joke is what I'm talking about there. I, yeah, I don't know, but time is definitely the modifier in there. And is, is there a way to know? I mean... The example that I look at is like, okay, it's still clearly not okay to make fun of the Holocaust. Yeah, not unless you're Jewish. Yeah. Is that ever going to be okay to make fun of that? Is there ever going to be a time when it becomes culturally acceptable now to laugh about that? I don't know, but I don't see me being able to get away with those (laughs) jokes. And I'm not, I don't want to find out. So we may have to cut this, but the... Please tell me you are not about to do a Holocaust joke. I'm not about to do a Holocaust joke. And we're back. Um, (laughs) Okay, who names their kid Millicent? Oh, I have no problem with that. I happen to know a Millicent. Okay. A lovely young woman. We're doing a website for her husband. I'm, I'm working with her. And I just, every time I look at her and see her as Millicent, I think... Hmm, you belong in the 50s. As an old woman in the 50s. I just think that that's just an old person's name. I really like the idea of giving people names that are not necessarily in fashion right now, but have a diminutive version that is acceptable. And then you call them by the diminutive version, but they've got this longer name that's kind of something they keep to themselves. Hmm. Uh... So the example from both of my children, I have... So that people can't get power over them, right? That's right. It's their true name. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell my wife that that's why. <laughs> uh, our, our son, Joseph Clark Smith Jr., we call him JJ. And our daughter, Elizabeth Colleen Smith, we call her Beth. So what we do is we pick a, uh, a kind of a more old-fashioned name. Like, Elizabeth is kind of... To go all the way to Elizabeth is not so popular these days. Um, and then the middle name is always someone in our lives who was significant to us at the time the child was born. And, and then we come up with a diminutive version of that first name, and that's that's the name that we will call them by for the, you know, common situations. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I believe our our next child, if it's a daughter, my my wife is is strongly campaigning for Lorelai as the. Oh no, no, no! And calling her Rory. Uh, No. No. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We're big Gilmore Girls fans, Pete. I don't know if you knew this. Well, it was yeah. the first TV show as a married couple that we really got into. 
Uh, you know, I don't really have anything else to talk about with this episode. You? Um, Andy comes back from the hospital after, you know, the start of the war. He's been in this, this other world because his wife just had a kid. It's so tragic watching him, how happy he is in this moment because we know where it's going. I think actually showing us Andy post-tragedy first uh -huh. and then rewinding and showing us what he was like at the time that his daughter was born... It just makes it that much more heart-wrenching. I, I think Sorkin did a good job of, at least for me, playing my emotions. Yeah, it was clear he still really wasn't a, a super happy kind of guy even back then. But right. he had genuine happiness at this moment for yes. sure. As he's And then to know how smiling. fleeting it will be for him. Yeah. It's, just, it's just tragic. Yeah. Okay, Pete? Uh, let's see here... Part one of KNR for Brainy Smith, he says an eight. I also give this an eight. Okay, I actually give this a nine. I, I love this episode. I think they do a lot of really good things in here. Moving on to our next episode, KNR part two. Jordan's preeclampsia continues to spiral out of control, and Danny can't get in to see the baby. <laughs> Just the thought of the preeclampsia. Spiraling out of control. <laughs> there were other things going on with her. Sure. Right. Well, the DIC is is a result of the preeclampsia. I mean, it's it just seems it's like all, it's all symptomatic of the preeclampsia. Um, more Danny and the doctor stuff. I I enjoyed their little banter back yeah. and forth there. I thought thought he did a good I keep, job. I keep forgetting. I need to look this kid up and see who he is. I know I've seen him in other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You, can you play Simonator? No, but okay. he's got that face of, eh, I've seen that guy somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he does look a little young. L Lucy. There's this scene where they're all sitting around reading the internet. Yeah. And Lucy reads something that so horribly offends her that she picks up her laptop and throws it across the room. The way that whole scene is acted is just so poorly done. It did not feel genuine at all. Yeah, I don't know anybody who does that. I I, I get people who would slam the lid down on the laptop. Or storm out of the room. But throw the laptop? Or punch a wall. Really? Throw a laptop. Yeah, but... Anyway, okay. Weird. It's just... She doesn't act it very well, even. It's like, I, I can believe that she was a writer more than an actor. <laughs> I, I like her, but I don't think she's a terribly good actress. Okay. Uh, I don't know, for whatever reason. Um, Matt was apparently going to be writing a marriage proposal for Danny. I like that idea. That would be awesome. That would be hilarious. To have somebody working specifically, this you know, one of the great writers in Hollywood, yeah, writing your personal marriage proposal. Maybe for my uh, like my twenty fifth anniversary, I can see if Joss Whedon would be really willing to write a marriage proposal for me to do, you know, repropose to my wife. My wife's a big Joss fan. So. <laughs> okay, uh, the support guy who shows up. We he's he's actually in the the first episode. He's the uh, um, the air force officer. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy's pretty much just a jerk. <laughs> he really is. To Tom. Not doing a heck of a good job of trying to comfort this poor man. Although I, I actually like that actor. He was in the TV show Las Vegas. I really liked his role in that show. Yeah, I I think he's a good actor. I hated his role in Las Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah. Him. The guy who used to park cars is going to become the head of security. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> Not. That was you, terrible. You don't believe in promotion, promoting from within. Look, that show was carried by James Caan. Yes, it was. Absolutely. It's the only reason I watched it. Yes. It James Caan the... was awesome, and, and the... I want more James Caan. <laughs> <laughs> and the occasional hot chicks that they had parading around uh, the, the Vegas. Unfortunately, none of them on staff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, let's see here. 16 pounds, 2 ounces. <laughs> the poor woman that ever has to give birth to a 16-pound baby. What did he ask me? He's like... If she was giving birth to a rhinoceros or something <laughs> like that. That's pretty funny. That, that really was pretty funny. I also liked how Cal kept having to remind him of yeah. all the different things. Uh, uh, Matt, you know, pointing Eddie? at his finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Oh, and Jordan and, and Danny are engaged. Uh, okay. The hospital protocol. Danny wants to be able to see the baby. Yeah. Hospital protocol, totally spot on. Yep. The baby is a... Premature by two weeks. It's up in the the NICU. It does. It's not a free zone for people to just go hang out in. And he has absolutely zero connection with this baby. Yeah. That being said, that woman's kind of a jerk. <laughs> and I like that the doctor finally comes through and he's like, "Geez, just get the man a bracelet." It's like, "No, I can't do it." Then go wheel it behind some, you know, over the glass so that he can see, see it. it. Yeah. And I I just enjoyed that because I've been the frustrated guy who says, Seriously? You need me to troubleshoot this one for you? Come on, use your brain, please. And you know, again, like it like I said in earlier in the podcast, Sorkin knows how to play me like a fiddle. Danny's standing there looking at his newborn baby girl and saying, Hey, it's gonna be alright, I'm here now. I choked up. I I got that scene. I totally connect with that emotional sense. Was. Yep. That's um, okay, but I have a daughter. <laughs> I was pleased that they didn't show the baby. Yeah. Really pleased because almost... Invariably. They always show a baby that is a newborn that's like eight months old. Yeah. It's like, seriously, that just came out of some woman's well, vagina? Have you seen babies when they're just born? They don't look like human beings. <laughs> they really don't. As much as I love both of my children, they look like alien things when they're laying there in the crib. When, they're ju- when they've just come out, yes. they don't look human. Yes. Yeah. It takes them a little while to grow into head size and things like that. <laughs> look more like raptors, really. <laughs> Sorry, would you have preferred a badger? Well, it's more like badgers. <laughs> My wife's going to kill me if she ever listens to this one. Uh, the whole idea of Carl Rove meeting with Hollywood executives to discuss making more patriotic movies is a really funny idea. I don't know if that's actually something that happened, but that is just hilarious to me that they're like, oh yeah, we're going to win the war on terror through movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
just ridiculous. Uh, okay, I don't think the media circus gets going that crazy that fast. Mm. It seems within hours that this thing has become this huge blown-up thing. You don't think even on the Sunset Strip? No. Because, I mean, they're right there. They're right in the heart of it. I just don't, I just don't buy it. Okay. But, at, at any rate, they call, they're, you know, they're going to get some reporter that they know who's going to help them out with this thing here. And why don't they bring that reporter in in to the building? They could easily say, "Hey, you, come here." You know, I was walking through the front yeah, doors. Yeah, I, I wasn't even going to address this because the whole Simon and Joni storyline just aggravates me. I didn't care for it. I wish they'd cut it out of this episode and given us more Danny and the Doctor. Yeah, um, that sounds like a name for a TV show, Danny, Danny. and the Doctor. Well, there's a book called Danny and the Dinosaur by Sid Hoff. It's really great. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Um, okay, so I, I'm i pretty sure it's in this episode. Matt tries to take some pills again. I don't think I caught that. Oh, yeah. Reaches into his pocket, starts to open it up when Hot Lawyer Lady comes in. And he puts it away quickly and doesn't take it. Which is just further evidence that this guy is a junkie right now. Yeah. And don't believe him when you say, yeah, I don't have any pills around here. They've got pills everywhere. I do remember seeing him. He had something in his... He pulled something out of his hip pocket. But it wasn't the pill bottle. Uh, no, it wasn't the, the, the Flintstones, Flintstones vitamins. vitamins. It was a different one. He it did have some, something and he, it was he looked guilty as he put it back in different. his pocket. I did wonder what was going on. There. Yes. Those were pills, sir. He was trying to get high. Okay. All right, that's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brainy Smurf says that this gets a seven. What do you think? Uh, you know, I gave this one a six. There was far too much of the Simon and Joni and the press circus. It, it bugged me, and I didn't enjoy it. I gave it a seven as well, because I thought it was good, but it's not as good as the first one. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Home Starmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening. So good to see you again.